Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the EG Property Podcast and another fascinating podcast. I can say that before we even get going because it is a podcast looking at this wonderful world that we are all quite obsessed with at the moment of life sciences and and rightly so because it is fascinating and there's such a huge amount going going on and to make um, things more exciting we are in this podcast matching life sciences up with a, something else that is 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 very important and getting a lot more airtime um, now rightly so uh, the world of of social value and creating social social value and and joining me on the podcast to to share their knowledge and their expert expertise I have four four experts with me and to help you dear listener to to know who you're who you're listening to what who you're scribbling down lots of insight um, from I'm going to ask each of them to give us a little bit of an intro so you can get used to their voices and tell us a little bit about I guess their position in in this um, very exciting world of of life sciences um, Ryan I'm going to throw first to you great um, so my, my name is Ryan McKenzie. I am an associate director in the economics team at Savills. Um, we, you know, as a as an organisation, obviously have a uh, you know, very strong interest and um, sort of experience and, and background in in this sector. Um, our team, uh, in particular, um, we have been helping uh, occupiers and investors to understand the market, understand some of the key underlying economic drivers of the life science sector, how to position themselves to take take advantage of this. Um, but we've also been very involved in sort of the social value side of, of, of projects. And so we in, a, in our um, sort of cost benefit analysis that we you know, that we undertake as part of that economic work, um, social value is a really core part of, of the metrics that feeds into that. So um, it, it's a very, inter- very interesting this discussion today. Um, it's, you know, it's an evolving, both an evolving um, area in terms of social value, but also life science being such a dynamic industry and, and offering you know such a, a sort of varied economic opportunity, I, I think there's a lot of potential for for them to for that sector to contribute to um, to, to, to social value. Excellent, thank you very much, Jane. Over to you next. Hello there. My name is Jane Holt. I'm the business development director of the University of Southampton Science Park. Um, we are in a state of about 75 acres, 19 buildings, and nearly 100 companies the vast majority of which are actually engaged actively in the commercial aspects of scientific and technological R&D. Life sciences obviously play a fairly large role within that, but other sciences are available. I'll just plug that in. Um, one of the fascinating aspects from our perspective, um, particularly with our university links, is how the boundaries between life sciences and other sciences are increasingly blurred. Um, and on the social value side of things, actually, I think that's quite neglected usually in our world. And we're very focused on commercial, on return on investment, on the future, on the environmental and sustainability agenda. But I think it's very easy to overlook the fact that we do have a wider group of stakeholders to which we are answerable nowadays. And that includes the social impact agenda as well. Excellent. Thank you very much, Jane. Tom, over to you. Well, I'm Thomas Meany. Um, co-founder of OpenCell. Um, for the last couple of years, we've been building biotech labs in shipping containers. Um, we've operated laboratories, we um, design them, we develop them. We're focused on building the best labs in the world at the best price, working with developers to fit out spaces. Um, yeah, and that's it. Fantastic, thank you very much. Uh, Steve, last but by no means least. Thanks, Samantha. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Steve Duffield. I'm the site director for the Wilton Centre in in Teesside. Um, uh, it's a 75-acre science park, um, 450,000 square foot of office, laboratory, and pilot plant and scale-up facilities. Um, in terms of um, life science, the Wilton Centre. Uh, was predominantly a research entity in the chemical and process industry, but over time, the the almost the ingredients that are here have offered us the opportunity to to um, accept um, companies within the life sciences and for them to grow and become become quite large. So we've been probably for the last five ten years have been kind of working towards. Um, bringing those companies on 
and they, they they've started as small companies and they've become larger companies and very similar to um what what jane touched upon we do see that blur between almost chemistry and biology in in within that field so um i'm also uh, the Wilton Centre is also part of a portfolio of nine science parks under the We Are Pioneer group um, with a recent acquisition of the BioCity sites in Nottingham and Glasgow, which are, are kind of, they are pretty much life science um, entities that have grown out of um, small startups within the life science sector. So we're quite, we're quite well placed as a portfolio for the growth within what we see as being in the, in the life sciences uh, sector. Excellent. Thank you very, very much. So I guess let's we might as well start with the big question, um, which is, you know, we've seen so much talk about the role of life sciences, of science in general in the UK, of of being able to sort of level up, being able to deliver great things for UK PLC. But the big question is, I suppose, well, what does it deliver for UK people? How can um, life sciences, sciences, science, science hubs um, really be part of a community and create better places, better spaces for for all, and really deliver on that what, whatever we measure as as a social social value. And Jane, I'm going to throw that first to you, and I wonder if there's any experiences or examples you can you can talk us through from from Southampton. Thanks, Sam. I think it's. Um... It's a very interesting question, and as I touched on in my intro, I think it is an area that we have traditionally neglected. Um, and certainly part of my role in Southampton is to break down the boundaries between the science park, which has been, I mean, we're, we're actually physically screened from the local environment by beautiful trees. It's a very green site. And because of that, people don't know what we do here, um, which actually mitigates against us in terms of things like planning consent so on a practical level it's good that people know what we're doing um, and so part of my brief is to raise awareness of the science park and of the good work that's going on here and of the job opportunities that are created on site um, now a lot of those job opportunities just by virtue of the nature of the business that goes on here are fairly high quality jobs so if you're looking at social impact and Southampton, whilst surrounded by some seriously expensive real estate, is actually quite a deprived city in some aspects. Um, I don't think, if I'm being totally honest, that science parks cater brilliantly on the surface to the creation of opportunities for people in, in with, with fewer educational qualifications and things like that. What we can do is get into schools. We can work, in our case, with the University of Southampton that actually owns us. Um, we're a commercial subsidiary of the university, but they have a very strong outreach program into schools and colleges in the local area, raising awareness of access into education through unconventional routes, for example, raising awareness of career opportunities in the STEM subjects, including life science, for people who might not necessarily consider that an obvious route or a good route for them. Um, the, the blatant candidate there still, to my embarrassment, is getting women into STEM. You know, female founders on the science park are as rare as hen's teeth, and it's an eternal challenge. Um, so there's a lot of education that we can do in that sense. Um, and just opening up the park, welcoming people on, um, using social media to raise awareness of what goes on here is a very important contributor to that. But I heard the director of Lincoln Science Park speak very passionately on this subject about two weeks ago at a conference in London on the built environment. And he was saying from his perspective, Lincoln is a neglected city. People drive past it. You know, London's booming, particularly for life science. The north is booming, particularly the northwest. Um, huge amount of growth going on up there, which is getting a lot of media coverage. And you drive past Lincoln to get there to a degree. Mm -hmm. And he feels passionately that the jobs created on science parks have to be channeled into these more deprived communities. You know, Lincoln Science Park is effectively on a redundant industrial site that used to employ a lot of the local people. The jobs are being created there. It's fantastic. The economic impact is superb. Value added to the local economy is amazing. But the actual jobs for the lower skilled and the deprived side are not they're just not there 
So that's very high on his agenda. And I, he got a lot of positive reaction in the room from other colleagues in the Science Park community. It's really, really interesting. And, and, and Steve, is that, is that something that, you, that resonates with you as well? Yeah, yeah, there is, there is quite a lot in what, in what Jane, has, Jane has said there. I mean, certainly from one of the big things that, that, that I always go to is that you need to have within schools, colleges, universities, you need to start getting to those kids to, to get them sort of excited about wanting to, you know, because they all want to be YouTubers, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, all right, one in one in a hundred of you might be a YouTuber, but the reality is you've actually got to go out and get a proper job. And we've we've been quite fortunate in that we've got a, an organisation called NEPIC, the Northeast in Process Industries Cluster. Now, they were born out of the chemical industry, but they're a broader organisation now. They're kind of the glue of of everything that goes on within within industry within the sort of certainly the Teesside area and what they do is they have a thing called children challenging industry and they get into the schools and they get and we, we have like you know groups of school kids coming round and they get to see laboratories and they get to see scientists and you know even from silly things like seeing the sort of the cars that are parked in the car park it gives them that idea of oh actually if I follow this path this could be quite good. So the, at the moment, we're, we're collectively as in, in Teesside or the Tees Valley, we're trying to sort of put together a strategy of how do we how do we kind of from employer level through to school level and up through ed, ed, uh, higher education and further education, everything like that, is just try and join the dots up to make sure that the kids are aware of what they can aspire to because and especially when I look at my own children 15 13 and 9 it's like I don't want them to necessarily have to go and look and move outside of their local area as such to get a job um, and so I think that that is one of the key things if you're going to have a kind of an impact on sort of the social and economic um, in an area is that you've got to kind of think that little bit long term um, and the other thing that I would say is is that by establishing the kind of the science jobs if you get it right some of those other jobs again that that are kind of that's the, you know the semi-skilled the non-skilled they kind of follow because the companies need support in whatever it might be and so they tend to follow on top of it but it this isn't a short-term thing this is quite a long-term thing but you know you'd be amazed that if if it was started kind of now you'd probably see it in five six seven years time but it probably would have a big impact and it goes back to the kind of the thing of the leveling up thing you know leveling up isn't going to happen overnight but it's all those seeds that we sow now will then mean that that that, that leveling up agenda will come to fruition Thank you, Steve. Um, Ryan, um, Steve mentioned your word there, economic. Um, what can, what can you tell us about, I guess, the the impact that the science, life sciences, is having having on on local areas, on you know, making sure that it's not just creating uh, a you know jobs for jobs for the smart, homes for the homes for the rich, that it is delivering across um, you know a, a sort of level economy i suppose yeah no i think that's a that's a great question and i think you know it's it's definitely a dynamic you see not just in life sciences you see it in, in a whole range of different sectors um sectors that have high skill and education level requirements for their jobs um that you know provide a huge you know um, economic benefit to local areas in terms of its economic output um does does have that problem that you know they can be high growth regions but with like a lot of uh, pockets of deprivation um, and so, you know, we've worked on a lot of projects recently where that's that has been the, the dynamic. Um, one, I, one of the things I'd say about life sciences, though, and I think you know, there's been a lot of research done into this, is the uh, the, the uh, indirect impacts of the jobs and investment in the sector is actually quite high. 
So the supply chain uh, and induced spending impacts um, you know, usually uh, well above other you know, more traditional sort of commercial occupiers. And I think on, on, you know, while the, the direct on-site jobs may be inaccessible to anyone but you know, you know, uh, well-educated PhDs with you know, relevant, relevant backgrounds, um, those supply chain jobs could actually be a part of the way that uh, life sciences maximise and optimise their, their social value and you know, um, make sure people up local community get to participate in the economic opportunities. So just to give you sort of a, a, sort of a sense of, of what that could be, I mean, the research has been done, you know, by the Association of British Pharmaceutical Industry into this multiplier effect. It's about 2.5 across the United Kingdom. And what that, what that means is for every job created in the life science sector, another 2.5 are created across the UK um, in, in its supply chain. So um, that that's a that's an opportunity. I wouldn't necessarily say that translates to social value um, under a business as usual scenario. I think that it takes work to translate into something, translate in, that translate that into local jobs and and uh, you know opportunities for local people. Um, but you know it does show that you know there there are a range of different um, opportunities that come out of this. So just to give you a sense of what that that kind of looks like is you know um, a biopharma or life science company will need you know contract research, so research services. They'll need you know supplies of you know consumable reagents, so that you know there's a degree of you know manufacturing required there. Um, specialist analytical services, but they'll need IT recruitment, logistic services, legal regulatory expertise. So these are all um, you know some of these are fairly high school jobs in and of themselves. So then it's not um, you know as easy as just providing these to to local people. You know there's still an education gap to 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 bridge in some cases. Um, but you know these. Um, the one, the one, one of the key things we've seen with life sciences is the clustering effect of of these businesses, and and their supply chain is drawn to these clusters in the same way. And um, Jane, actually, it's funny enough, I was actually going to use Southampton Science Park as an example, um, because it, it, the, on in in the Southampton Science Park there are um, service providers to the life science sector. And I, I believe it's a you know there's a few recruiters and and IT services uh, services there provided by different businesses. So that that's an example of how you know the supply chain for life sciences are actually attracted to life sciences in terms of their proximity. So that actually that creates an opportunity in these local authorities to to provide space and provide um, you know enough allocated land and things like that to make sure that in addition to the life science um, you know science parks, there's also opportunities to develop you know the warehousing manufacturing. Um, and, and other other you know services that 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 go into um, into the supply chain. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, as I said, you know, that's that's the potential. That's that's the opportunity, um, and it's, it is highly contextual. I mean, you know, certain locations will have a supply chain set up already, um, ready to participate in that opportunity. Others will will need more work, and so um, and it, it will differ depending on the um, like the development you know life cycle. That, that you're in. So, you know, whether it's an asset management um, point, you know, there, there's a different range of social value programs and ways to engage with with local people and, and the community. Um, in the construction phase, it's different. Um, and then, you know, the, the actual businesses themselves, so the life science businesses will have their own um, avenues to do that. So that's sort of, a, I guess, at a high level, sort of how I, where I see some of these, these opportunities. I want to um, build on that and pick up on, on Jane's point about, um, you know, opening up science science parks and clusters to to the wider community and 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 it's, it's probably a place to bring in thomas on this because i know the you know open cell i think i described it recently as a sort of a box park for 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 life sciences and i wonder if you can um talk a little bit about how you know how you how you've popped up in a in a community and and, and whether you feel that your offer is is more open I suppose to steal a part of your name. No, no, I'm I'm delighted you did. Uh, you know, we put open over the door for a reason. Um, we felt that there's there's uh, too much kind of ivory tower with relation to biotechnology, just on the topic of of how you can kind of learn more about biotechnology. Um, sort of our our YouTube channel, um, basically youtube.com backslash c backslash open cell. Uh, we have a huge number of stories, um, explanations, understandings about everything to do with biotech, everything to do about biotech startups, 
and it's not just needles, drugs and pills. There's a huge story there to do with, you know, all the fabrics we wear. I'm wearing a cotton shirt. You know, I mean, biotech is, is literally pouring all over us. We, we also happen to fill our, our mouths every morning with biotech. Um, so there's a huge amount of stories there about a number of the food science businesses that are that are just bursting out of um, London. And, and we're really proud to to host them. Multis Media is there. Um, there's a fabulous story about a group called Better Day. Um, who develop um, uh, dairy-free uh, milk uh, and milk ingredients. They're an amazing company. They promote happy cows. Um, so it's it's a great story there as well. Uh, you can also find quite a bit of uh, of just you know up to date what's happening right now. A little bit of behind the scenes on any of our social media channels. And um, we're on on basically everything: uh, LinkedIn, uh, uh, the Twitter, Instagram, all that. Uh, Open Cell London uh, is is our um, is our, our handle on on all of those. Um, so in, in essence, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think it's been, um, you know, biotech's been isolated and, and with, you know, the, the greatest uh, uh, respect to science parks, which are fabulous, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't assist in, in making it feel like something that people can engage with. And, and what does engagement produce? Well, you know, if someone understands what a drug can do for them, uh, they'll be far more likely to want that development to go on in uh, their nation, in their area. Um, you know, one of the I come from a physics background and one of the great quotes that was given to me is the most prominent uh, uh, societies which are pro uh, nuclear power happen to be those that are closest to the nuclear power plant. They tend to be really well educated. They tend to be, you know, uh, really well explained about the risks as well as the opportunities and the rewards. They certainly prefer it to coal, and um, you know they also uh, are, are typically have have a high employment rate in the area. So I would I would say for biotech that really the proximity of biotech and the ease of access and engagement on that is very important. On that basis, we hold uh, an annual well annual excluding COVID nineteen. We 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 you know uh, please excuse us you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, watch this space. We hold an annual biodesign festival where we do focus on that biotechnology aspect beyond the needles, drugs and pills. We love needles, drugs and pills. We love healthcare. We love, you know, diagnostics, obviously. But at the same time, um, the food science, the fashion, I'm also a visiting lecturer in the Royal College of Art. My colleague Lena is as well. We teach a huge amount of courses and engagements about biodesign and fashion in particular. We have a particular interest in that area. So, you know, we've hosted uh, also open residencies. So we actually permit people to come in from a completely different background. Anyone can apply. Again, COVID-19 paused this. Um, but these open residencies allowed people to come in for three to six months from any uh, part of the world, any part of uh, uh, design or, or science or any discipline and spend six months at open cell, really engaging with companies and trying to learn how they can communicate what they're doing to you know, a, a science focused entity and, and engage uh, from, from, from the outside in as well. Um, so I kind of I kind of think on that topic, yeah. As as you point out, the boxcar biotech has been really accessible uh, for people. They can understand it. Uh, it's it's a model that has been you know sort of pop up focused uh, and and something cool too. Because you know if you ever come down to London, uh, it is a unique space. You know it's fun. There there's you know in general our average age is is sub thirty for for founders and. And business owners, uh, we encourage a lot of diversity. That's easy to do in London. You know, I think we work mostly with uh, non non English. No, no offense to English people, but just <laughs> such a diverse community here. I think we work with almost every continent, but Antarctica. Um, you know, huge number of, of female founders as well. My co-founder, obviously, and, and our CEO, uh, Helena Steiner. Um, uh, uh, is very proud of, of, of her work there as well. Um, so it's just it's just a great way to engage with the community. London makes that easier um, and really being within um, an area which is sort of historically a food market and, and also Goldhawk Road. Our location, my apologies, in Shepherd's Bush, just adjacent to Shepherd's Bush Market in sort of city centre London, uh, zone two. 
and we're just next to Shepherd's Bush Market, a historical food market or a little bit of an everything market. You could get anything there. Uh, and then Goldhawk Road, which has been a real, I call it the sort of the bowel of fashion, you know, the essential part that the whole system would fall apart about, but nobody really wants to have a good, you know, walk around it. Um, so, you know, Goldhawk Road has been where every theatre company in the last 70 years has gone for fabrics, fashions, cloaks, uh, uh, theatrical uh, equipment. Um, you know, uh, Alexander McQueen used to used to stomp through there, you know, every day of the week looking for, for the next thing. So so from a historical perspective, we really feel that kind of input from the outside world, which is very focused on what they can touch, you know, and, and eat. Um, and that has has influenced our, um, our our output and our communication as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's been a, a great experience to be there. Yeah. Sounds like very passionate. Thank you very, very much. J Jane. Hi, yes, there's so much that I want to pick up on from Ron, Steve and Tom. I could probably speak for about 10 hours just trying to respond <laughs> to all the thoughts that have cropped up. But one thing that I think is really important to remember is that we are commercial organisations and Ron's touched on the economics and some amazing statistics there that are about how impressive the impact of science and research parts can be and the life science industry in particular. Um, one of the real challenges that we see is that venture capital and investment capital looks for a, a serious return, but they also increasingly take ESG incredibly seriously. It is now a real and relevant part of investment decisions, and they're not looking for greenwashing or the equivalent, not weasel words. They want to see true impact and return. And one of the things we do at Southampton Science Park is we're very closely involved in growing younger companies. Most of the companies on our site are actually SMEs rather than very well established global brands, although we do have a few of those as well. And within that role, as well as running our own programmes, we also sponsor things like the South Coast Tech Awards. And some of the biggest barriers to growth actually, perversely, can prove to be very good opportunities for impact and job opportunity. So a huge barrier for most finalists in the Tech Awards is recruitment and retention of skilled staff. Uh, Ryan referenced the number of our employees on site who hold PhDs or you know, similarly very high educational qualifications. That's great. And Southampton Uni certainly produces a lot of those, particularly in STEM, but it's not enough. So companies increasingly are looking for alternative routes to recruitment. We have companies on site that have their own teaching laboratories and they're actually encouraging school kids to come in and sit in not even a classroom, but in a, a workplace environment and learn about the role of life science testing assay kits and things like that that are developed here and used in amazing situations. So they're trying to tap into kids who might not necessarily have the qualifications or the aptitude to go to university, but they're making them aware of the opportunities through alternative routes into the sector that they can exploit and then hopefully change their stars and have a better future whilst also commercially benefiting the organisations who are recruiting them. So there are real opportunities there. And I think we're all having to think far more creatively about how we showcase those opportunities, how we communicate them to our local environment. And that's where speaking not just with local authorities, but with, with educational institutes, not just the usual suspects, go out and have a stall, you know, have a stall in the boat show or something odd like that go to somewhere that's perhaps more accessible than the boat show, just make your presence felt, use social media, tap into the channels where young people in particular are active. I mean, Tom referenced YouTube. It's a really powerful platform. And I think we need to move out of our traditional comfort zones and stop talking to each other quite as much as perhaps we used to. I mean, I'm not saying don't collaborate and share best practice because that's fantastic, but we need to look at new routes out there. Thank you, Jane. Steve. Yeah, again, just 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 picking up what you were saying there, there, Jane. It's interesting because we've got a couple of companies um, that are pharmaceutical companies, and they need quite a bit of kind of laboratory people. But they're not they're not finding graduates from university. They're doing exactly what you were saying. They're going out and just finding kids almost that have just come out of school, and they're literally putting them in the labs. They're training them on the job. And and then 
they're starting them on a career path that they probably never considered that they would go on. And you can you, and, and you can and you can watch the progression of these people, and they do. They, they suddenly get the thing of, I like doing that, and and so they are growing their businesses and growing them very well, but they've actually taken a a, a different approach as the traditional. I need a chemistry graduate. I need a biology graduate. I need this. They're literally saying, look, we can start you here, and this is where you can get to, and and, and that's really really working for them. It sounds to to me like the um, one of the things that the, this sector needs to be, I'm going to say more more inclusive and be able to deliver on that as social value for an area is an element of education to the entire um, locality that this is is open for for all of you and perhaps from a, a sort of physical real estate real estate perspective bringing a bit more mixed use perhaps into into science parks so you know if there is an educational um need there you know perhaps we bring in bring in schools or apprenticeship type um places uh, and that sort of thing is that is that something that any of you are are seeing or pushing towards or or, or recommending i mean so the, we've got got some good examples from um you know, some of the work we've done with um other employees i mean this is not exactly life science but similar similar dynamics you know highly skilled jobs that aren't accessible of themselves and if left it to business as usual they probably would you know kind of go completely past some of the you know the more deprived um you know pockets of the community but you know i, I think what the way the way we've sort of approached it i think this sort of a key part of you know, d designing these programs is that, you know, there needs to be a real engagement with the community and a real understanding of uh, what some of their needs are. And so there's a sort of way we kind of look at it is on one hand, you need to engage with the community for the you know, stakeholders that are going to be directly impacted by, you know, these programs. But on the other hand, you need a really strong understanding of the baseline needs of the community, looking at, you know, statistics on deprivation and, and, and where, the, where the key disadvantages are. And then that's that's how the the programs are are built around. Um, the um, and and look, you know, the the Tom's framework is a, a good way to to understand that. I mean, uh, there are obviously detractors to you know putting together a, a framework and and monetizing monetizing everything. But it's a good place to start to understand how to categorize the different um, you know stakeholders and, and impacts you can have. Um, so I mean, just as a just as an example, um, you know, we we're working with someone recently. Um, delivering a, a project uh, in a you know, fairly high growth uh, region, but with you know some serious pockets of deprivation, um, which is a, I think fairly typical of of, of life science sectors. Um, you had on one hand skill shortages on the highly skilled um, you know positions, but then you had you know long long term unemployed on the other, and particularly amongst young and old people, and there was a fairly big gender disparity as well within within those high value jobs. Um, you know, you then had, you know, the, the impacts of COVID-19, which has had a huge impact on, you know, tertiary education participation, increased hardship amongst these sort of more vulnerable groups. Um, and, and I think the, you know, the other thing we, we picked up on was that, you know, there's, a, there's what, what's called digital poverty, which is, you know, significant, you know, the, the, there's a big gap in access to the digital resources necessary to engage in, in education. And so, uh, you know, our client, you know, developed their their program around these key issues. So they had a, a reskilling program for over 50s in the most deprived areas. Um, so that's, you know, in classroom facilitated skill development and training programs. And then, um, you know, career advice and 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 um, and programs around matching them up with, you know, the supply chain of, of that that employer, um, which are very, you know, built in connected to, to their project. Um, and, and gave them a sort of a, 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 a entry into into participating in, in those jobs. Um, you had similar programs with students. I, I think you know the what was just talked about. You know what Steve just just talked about. And Jane just talked about in terms of some of the you know the ways that science parks get involved. Very much in line with this, which is you know actually going out to the schools um, and teaching them about you know how to uh, you know the skills they needed to you know, engage in this this sector. Um, and then there was also, you know, support given to help women get into technology, you know, focused roles. And again, I think there's a lot of parallels there with, you know, with, with life sciences. So I think there's a lot of um, opportunities for, for outreach uh, to the community from science parks. And I think that's, that's you know, I think that's one part of the, the equation. The other is, I think, as, as you mentioned, 
uh, Samantha, is the um, you know what what are the opportunities within the science park itself to build um, opportunities like this into the actual scheme itself, and that that obviously comes right at the start start of the process around you know, the design of 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 the the park. And it's obviously dependent on the science park. Some science parks need to be gated and closed off for, for obvious reasons, while others do have opportunities potentially for more placemaking initiatives that can actually interact with the community. And those things, you know, as simple as delivering open spaces accessible to the local community, that has social value. Um, that improves the health and well-being of, of the local community. Um, you know, there's um, opportunities to deliver science discovery um, centres, you know, that could run educational programs. You know, that's a you know, pretty common thing you see in, in a lot of you know, major city centres. I mean, you, these are sort of opportunities that could could really be built into the the fabric of you know the literal real estate of of, of these these parks. Jane, you were nodding along there for, for to give the visual to our listeners. Absolutely, yeah, nodding ardently. Um, there's so again so much I could pick up on there, but Ryan mentioned design and placemaking. I think they are very very hot topics in our sector at the moment. Um, there's a massive life science facility that has opened in the heart of Boston, Massachusetts, which is right in the heart of the community. It's not on the edges at all. It's having massive change and impact and influence there. But equally in the UK, you look in the northeast, we've got the, um, I think it's the Centre for Healthy Ageing up in the northeast, which is again, Steve's nodding, I'm, I must be close to the, to the title there, um, again in the heart of the community. And what those two developments have in common is access. They are open at street level to the public to wander in, to explore, to grab a coffee and end up sitting down next to people who are discussing subjects from their work that you might just overhear something, think, oh, yeah, that sparks interest. You might join in the conversation. You're creating serendipity between, if you like, the boffins and the local community. And that will in turn create opportunity. It will break down barriers and it will hopefully spark curiosity in people who might not have realised there's a route into that world for them. Um, but also it creates the opportunity for the knowledge that's contained within environments like innovation and science parks to be communicated out formally and informally into the local community. Because there's so much knowledge and fantastic information, really exciting stories that can be communicated out that give people a sense of pride. You know, this is being developed on my doorstep. And it's awesome. It really is awesome. It's why I love my job is, is learning about what the companies on the park do and then chatting to other people about it because it's mind blowing. You know, it's, it, I can't get, I'm no techie. I can't get my head around half of it, but it is fascinating. And that excitement builds interest and it builds economic benefit. This should absolutely be a sector that the UK is really proud of, to, to, to borrow your word, word Jane. And, and, and I think you make a really good point there about um places being accessible because you know I think back to my own um, prejudiced view of life sciences and I do think of caged off um, areas that you know and you and you you know you remember you remember stories and you don't put it in the, in such a good light and that's not what life science what science is really and so I, I guess um, to, to round us up on the conversation I'd love to know from each of you what do we need to what do we need to do to change that perception and also to make um local authorities planners investors understand that you know life science science can be a place it doesn't just have to be um a closed off behind um behind closed doors um investment tom i'm going to start with you on that one um yeah, I mean that there's there's a lot to to pick up on there. Um, I certainly think engaging with with local authorities has become a lot easier. I mean, I'll 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 be frank. I'll, I'll give you a bit of our story. Um, myself and Helena um, st started our our, our biotech uh, um, laboratory business um, w with with nothing. We chose shipping containers because we had had nothing, and and no no one would would support us when when we started. Um, so it's only sort of three years on now that everybody is talking about life, life sciences. And I think that, um, you know, when in fairness, we were uh, looking for space to do this in, we chose what was called meanwhile space. Um, this is space that uh, Warren Buffett would, would liken to a kind of a cigar butt. 
it, it was a very high quality space in terms of its core logistical feasibility, which is that it, it, it was right in the center of London next to four different tube stations. Uh, so essentially in the matrix and down the road from Imperial College, which, which we, we noted. Um, and in fairness, Hammersmith and Fulham had a, had a bio strategy in 2018 when we started out and um, both Councillor Jones um, and the leader of the council there, uh, Stephen Cowan, it's, it's the borough of Hammersmith and Fulham uh, in which we uh, uh, operate uh, open cell. Um, they were uh, immensely supportive, visited the site, um, and it, it was it was probably one of the few boroughs that was that was really looking at, at biotech as a, as as big. This is a big thing for them. Um, other developers in the borough, including uh, Stanhope, uh, just up the road, uh, you know, who, who in fairness have also hosted us. Uh, we we recently put a shipping container on their site. Uh, well, it's, it's Mitsu uh, as, as well, Fusadan, but. Uh, they, they were very forward thinking in in terms of uh, COVID-19 and, and extremely supportive there uh, in, in how, how we could, um, you know, operate in, in a different way, bring bring development mindsets to a kind of a, a fast paced iterative cycle. Um, and, and I think that also led to great communication. I mean, that that um, shipping container, you, you, you can walk by and, and look at it. It doesn't operate tests anymore. But uh, the idea was there was a rapid response, decentralized testing facility, and it's right there at the entrance to the central line. Um, and, and we've been uh, emphasizing um, the core community of, of, of White City as just an extraordinary critical mass, which I think is competitive with uh, Kendall Square um, and, and certainly is, 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 uh, uh, stands up to the Bay Area, which in fairness doesn't truly have a biotech center. You know, Oakland is a little bit out and, and the Bay Area is really kind of the Golden Triangle region size. Um, I suppose I think if the, U, you know, I, I, I give a critique here, I'm, I'm not from the UK, so outsider looking in, I think that what tends to happen is the UK can often, um, it, it seems to create these fiefdoms and, and Oxford uh, is almost competing with Cambridge, well, well, well deliberately, uh, but, but same with London, whereas I think what people need to recognise is Oxford's advantage is its proximity to Cambridge and London. And actually, the Golden Triangle and beyond the Golden Triangle, you know, this, you know, the, re the region of Manchester, you know, as you pointed out earlier, BioCity, I mean, there's huge swathes of just extraordinary biotechnology expertise in the United Kingdom broadly. You know, uh, the Norwich region, uh, we have, I haven't even touched on, but, but that, I, I used to go up there to one of the finest uh, microscopy facilities, I, I would say, in Europe uh, is, is, is housed in, in the North, North Science Park. And um, you know, you know, the facilities in Glasgow for for both, you know, bioscience and as someone touched on earlier, bioscience and chemistry are great mates, and, and so are technological industries like physics and and semiconductor processing. You know, the finest uh, semiconductor fab facility in Europe, possibly the, the James Watt nanofabrication facility in in Glasgow, is also part of this you know sort of government drive towards a, a very focused knowledge based economy. Um, and what I think is extraordinary is, is that we are uh, kind of moving in that direction. But just to bring it back then to how we can kind of communicate, um, you know, with with policymakers and, and things like this. I mean, I think that the, the best communication strategy is, is to do, you know, um, as I say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on this call because I did. I, I didn't contact some VC and try to communicate on, on their level. The reality is. Um, you know, we, we we really had a belief and a passion, and we did, and we support those that that do that, and that's our sort of mo at OpenCell. It's cheap, it's cheerful, and you know, we're we're young, we're all in love with biotech. That's all we do. That's all we will do. Um, and I think that if you just do what you're doing exceptionally well, um, you know, people will take note, and I think that that makes the dialogue a lot easier. I think one of the biggest impediments to progress in the UK is that people wait for policymakers, they wait for, you know, in investors. You know, I, I think the reality is the UK investment ecosystem is not mature. It, it, it's not a mature ecosystem like like Asia or or the US, where people are com com cognizant of risk, return, and an understanding that you know, like the, the, the public markets are, are, are a way to grow your wealth. You know, the reality is 
you know that that the UK investment ecosystem just just hasn't evolved to be able to support businesses in the manner that the UK US financial system can do, and now that the Chinese ecosystem can do even better. So I think that the reality is, um, you know. The UK just has exceptional young, bright, you, you know, and, and not necessarily just young, not not ageist here, but just just passionate individuals seeking to progress bioscience. And I would ignore the investors. I would I would frankly borderline ignore the policymakers as well, though there's plenty who are great in both uh, camps. But just focus on doing extraordinary bioscience and telling that story, um, and it, it will it will fall into place. Is is my opinion. But uh, sorry, I, I, I take quite a, a a clear bent here. So happy to debate and discuss. I like the almost Yoda quote of um, "There is no try, only only do," which is what I, what I what I took from from that. Just um, crack on. Um, Steve, for you, what's what's your ask, I suppose, so that we can really open up um, life sciences science to to really deliver on that that social social value? I think one of the things is that the interpretation of what life science means. And I think there's a process of when you actually look at what comes under life science, it'll be things that you don't even consider being life science and i think that's that's a big thing that has to be kind of you know everybody talks about life sciences but i think most people who, who kind of talk about that especially politicians um they don't really know what life sciences are and the breadth of that and i think that that, that there is that 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 it's not kind of like you say it's it's not like you know almost like um animal testing and stuff like that it's 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 kind of right down to stuff that's like you know microbiology and and but but things that that that, that come out of just you know, we all, you know you've got the, the pharmaceutical side of things and drugs and things like that but it's then this whole move now into into food technology and and some of the stuff that's happening in that is it's is, is just unreal you know, you, you don't have to go that far back, but it was never a thing. You know, you know, we've all heard of quote, you know, that's food technology, but but it's now coming to the next level. So I think there's a big there's a big piece that's got to be done around. Actually, for that people understand the breadth of life science and almost the sophistication of life science. Um, I think going back to the, the thing around kind of local authorities and, and that sort of thing um we're quite fortunate in in the tees valley because we have what we call the tees valley combined authority which was a local enterprise partnership before we got a metro met but they are very very proactive in wanting to attract um bioscience type businesses into the area and they're doing a huge amount of work by they coordinate five local authorities so they're not working in competition, they're working together and the best places to put certain types of business are kind of coordinated. And I think that approach is important, is that in, in order for these things to grow and to work, everybody's got to work together and 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 kind of have that push to to, to take things forward. And it is interesting what, what Tom says, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, is that the investment side of things, they very much are to a criteria and in a lot of senses they are risk averse. Um and it and, and that can be a challenge. And when we do and and part of the, the 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 we are pioneer group that we now come under, a big side of, of that is actually investing in businesses for growth. Because again, that recognition that Almost in the UK, you get businesses that start up with a good idea and then they prove it and they just fall short of getting to the commercialization of it and it goes abroad. So UK PLC doesn't benefit. And what what what, you know, my my, my owners, if you like, want to try and do is to is to is to cut through that and to say that we'll invest because we also can find you somewhere to carry out that work. 
so everybody everybody wins and what and hopefully it stops that move to things going to the US or elsewhere where they should be staying in the UK. So holding on to the the value here and the the benefits that it brings. Thank you very much. Ryan, over to you and then the final word, uh, Jane, will go to you. Thanks, Samantha. Um, so there's probably three three things I just to touch on to, to finish. Um, I think the, the thread's been picked up by other people, but just um, they're very interesting and I, they're replicated in some of the work that we've, we've been doing recently. One, one is that the, the emergence of life science classes outside of, of Cambridge, Oxford, London, is huge opportunity for levelling up to really you know, bring a lot of high productive jobs and, um, you know, businesses to other parts of the country that haven't really shared in, in the overall economic growth of the UK. Um, and that that's, so, you know, number one, there is an opportunity and there's also a trend that's been supporting that and that, you know, um, you, you see you know, sort of an emergence of almost like a northern arc of, of life science and, and science centres in you know, Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle. Newcastle has a you know, really interesting mix of, of venture capital deals recently showing you know, sort of early stage and, and more mature companies getting funding. Edinburgh and Glasgow have also you know, seen a similar sort of you know, growth recently as well. Along, you know, around there, around the university. So, you know, there, there are. I wouldn't even call them green shoots. I mean, they're, they're really, you know, well-established, you know, life science clusters. So, I think, you know, from a living up agenda perspective, you know, it's important that that's, you know, continued. And I think one of the ways that that can be facilitated, and and I'm just going to sort of lean on some, you know, previous work we've done with um, the Babraham uh, Research Campus, is looking at um, the impact that government-funded. Um, you know, uh, lab space can have on the rest of the ecosystem. And that's um, you know, really around, um, I'm going to get a bit um, real estate nerdy here, but it's around the, the lease term that you can offer early stage startups. And that encourages them to take risks. They don't have to overcommit to long lease terms. They can, you know, they can take a six month you know, position, take part of a lab, piece of, part of a lab you know, test out their ideas. If it works, great, they move on. If they don't, then then they try again with something else. And so there's a there's an element of de-risking some of the the life science um, you know, ecosystem for these early stage startups. We we did an analysis of um, you know Babraham's um, immediate commercial market compared it to some comparable areas uh, that didn't have the sort of UKRI funded um, research institutes and and didn't have that same sort of um, you know investment in that that lease term and and found there's a really big difference in the net absorption um, of of space outside of the park. So what we concluded was that these are actually ways to act to to really attract a lot of new businesses and and create a cluster. So there's a there's a bunch of strategies I think that are available to to the government to uh, facilitate this this growth. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a key thing. And I think there, there needs to be a toolkit that that the government develops to help, um, you know, establish these clusters outside of of the Golden Triangle. Though, you know, that said, you you never want to undermine that you know that area because it's such a you know amazing you know, asset to the country. Um, but you know, it's really about you know helping other parts of the country share share in growth. And once you do that, then you have opportunities to really um, you know help the help these other areas participate in in the the growth of the life science sector and that's around the social value element of what we've been talking about and so there's probably a few different angles to look at this and, you, know, you could if you wanted to do what here east has done and that's create you know a best in class social value program that's you know won awards and that's that's really you know that that is brilliant but you know there are other ways you can look at it, and that's partnership with your labs which you know steve brought up um and also more locally maybe bids and these these organ the opportunity I think for the these government organisations um, is to um, help create sort of more off the shelf social value programs that you know life science businesses and maybe science parks who don't have the resources to create these things ground up themselves can can participate in and can coordinate and and reduce the um, the, the barrier to entry for some of these organisations and and make it easier for for companies that are not as well resource just yet to, to be involved. So I think, you know, that's, you know, in my mind to the, the process, I would look at, you know, just tying up, leveling up the social value and, and life sciences. Uh, that, that for me is, is how I would see you know, this the sector moving forward. Fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. Jane, I don't know how you're going to top all of those, but uh, I, I have faith. <laughs> With enormous difficulty, I think. Um, now, I, I, there's, Ryan was touching on um, 
the facilitation of growth in early stage businesses. And that is absolutely key. You, know, you look, taking outside of your outside life sciences, you know, the top five companies globally weren't around just a handful of years ago. Most of them hadn't even been invented when I first started work. Things change incredibly rapidly in the modern world. Um, and it's important to enable ideas to come off the kitchen table, out of the garage and into the first workspace. So I mean, Ram was talking about, you know, starting off with a lease commitment of six months. We've had an early stage lease commitment of three for years on the Science Park. And we've got companies that have grown to grow their own businesses. Uh, sorry, their own, they've built their own buildings on the Science Park, having started off almost in the cupboard on site. So there is a real growth path available through a creative approach to being a commercial property landlord, which in essence is what, what I am, you know, what Science Park is. Um, and that is not to be understated. Now, the government recognises science parks as acknowledged drivers of economic growth. They really value the work that goes on, um, both in terms of creating the built environment that enables scientific companies to establish themselves, but also in supporting them through business support networks, through leveraging our own networks to the benefit of the companies based on the park, making them talk to each other. Now, we are a community a real community. We're fortunate in Southampton Science Park that we don't need to be gated. So we're a community of people based on the park, but we're also part of the local community. People can walk their dogs here. They ride their horses down the, down the access roads, which makes walking down around the site interesting at times. But we are genuinely open. Um, but openness isn't only physical. Openness is a mental attitude. It's an approach to local authorities. Now, the, the local governance um, structures around the UK vary hugely. I mean, you know, Steve operates in a completely different structure from the one that I grew up in South London and the one that I now enjoy down here in Southampton. But the one common thread to all that is that those local government bodies impact us at home and at work. And it's really important to develop, to develop strong, open and honest relationships with them so that when you need them to move quickly, hopefully they will step up and they will move quickly and they will work with you. So we you know if we've got um, a planning application coming through, for example, we will talk to the parish council. Chatham House Rules will say, look, expect to see this coming through your, your letterbox or your inbox quite soon. You are going to be asked to adjudicate on a planning application. It's not as scary as it looks. It's not going to have virus leaching out into the local community, for example. It's not going to have nasty pollutants coming out of a chimney or going into the waterways. You identify the fears and the barriers up front and you communicate. And once you've got an open and trusting relationship, it makes growth much easier. And I think if there's one thing I would say at the moment is there's this huge, huge opportunity for our country through, frankly, how well we have stepped up to the plate um, to deal with the COVID pandemic in terms of developing vaccines, therapies. You know, the, the UK moved incredibly quickly because we had the right laws in place. We had expertise on the ground. We had creativity. We had some brilliant thinkers. And it, without wanting to be partisan in any way, which I'm not, I would say the government actually got some of it right in throwing money at that in a way that, for example, the French government was not allowed to because they're prevented by law. It just proved that we were quite agile. And I think that has reinforced our position and it's broadcast it to a wider global audience. I think what we mustn't do is get so fixated on what people perceive as life science, because as Steve rightly said, it's a vastly different sphere to one that we, a lot of people imagine. We mustn't get focused on that to the detriment of other areas of science and technological innovation, which we're also very, very strong at. And there are great opportunities in that. And the, the fact that the boundaries are fuzzy and there's lots of interaction, you know, the physics of cell structures, for example, it's, it's an area that I, I was completely unaware of until re relatively recently. It's, it's just so exciting. And if we can tap into that, we will create the economic impact. We will rope in the supply chain and we will benefit UK PLC, your local authority, whatever level, and hopefully just make lives better through the exciting work that goes on in, in places like science and innovation parks. 
You used a great E word there, exciting. And I think this sector really is really is exciting. And I've written down three other E's which I've sort of pulled out of all, all everything that you've been you've been saying of what we need um, to to do to make sure that um, one we continue to capitalise on on the the great minds and skills and and capabilities that we have through through science in in the UK, but that we also do make sure that we we get the very best social value out of that, that it is open, that it is delivering for for UK people and, and beyond as, as well. And those three E's that I've written down as as enable, we need to make sure that that government, that private investment, that um, individuals are um, enabling the sector to, to, to grow. We need to educate people about um, what it what it is and what it can can do. And if we get those two things right, then we'll really energize the sector to 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 go on and on and on and really deliver for 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 people and place. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. I know we could probably go on and on and on because there is so, there is so much to to talk about, but we should bring it to a close. So I'll just leave me to say thank you so much for sharing. And such intelligence with our with our listeners today, Steve, Jane, Ryan, and Tom. 